0: Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 10. I'd like to read once again this familiar text that I've been meditating on for some time, and with the Lord's help, would like to um, meditate this morning on the concluding portion of this text that deals with spiritual warfare and the armor of God. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When I introduced this series of messages on spiritual warfare and the armor of God, I did so with with that phrase of calling it the battle of the ages. And there was obviously in the beginning that emphasis on the battle that is raging in the area of sexual temptation. But all of us... Recognize that in our lives, Satan attacks. And while that may be very prevalent, um, and, and even visible in the world today, there are both other visible things and also many subtle things wherein Satan is attacking, um, the world at large, but also especially God's people and trying to, to rob from them and take away from them the very things that God has promised, and God has has given to us, and this scripture that we have read together uh, summarizes all of those things and calls them fiery darts. Those things that that Satan would fire at us and 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 try to cause destruction. And we know that a fiery dart in in the days of Paul was was really an arrow that that was flaming, that was intended not to. Inf- not simply to inflict a wound, but to do further damage by causing a fire, whether it was the shield of, of a soldier or perhaps a, a reinforcements or a, of or a, a fortress that it was intended to inflict further damage. And so it is also that Satan wants to inflict damage and harm in our lives and take us away from the relationship that we have with God. And he does that by, by attacking us in those places where where perhaps we are the weakest or the most vulnerable. And just like a general or, or soldiers in real warfare will, will look for the, the weak spot in in the armor or the weak spot in fortifications and attack there, so Satan will also do that in our lives. And that does come for many in the form of sexual temptations. But it takes on other forms as well, other addictions um, that we often mention from the pulpit here, that that can easily um, <clears throat> have a tremendous negative impact on our lives, both physically, but more importantly, spiritually, taking us away from God. But it's not just addictions; it, it can be bad habits that often turn into addictions. But also those things that we internalize in our lives when, when we allow doubt or, or fear to, to grip our hearts and our lives. When we allow things like pride and selfishness to, to overtake us and, and, and really have an impact in our lives that, that becomes very negative and, and damages that relationship that we have with God. In first John, the, John writes and he he talks about these things and he says all the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, eyes, and the pride of life, these things are of the world, they are not of the Father. And those are the very areas in our lives often where Satan will attack and where he'll fire his fiery darts against us. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2 says, um, The Bible says, and this is so true for and should be for us, and especially as we have looked at this portion, this familiar portion about the armor of God and and spiritual warfare, it it really is there for our learning, for our benefit, as it says here, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're fully aware of not only who he is, but what he does and what he is trying to do to accomplish his purposes and, and move us away from the purposes that God has for every one of us. Those that are unconverted to to bring you to salvation and those of us that are converted to, to move us away from the salvation and, and the, the security that we have in Christ by causing us to be insecure in that and we we learned in John how how the very nature and, and character of of Satan is revealed, which shows us where and how he is going to attack us. John said um, uh, records that Jesus said to the religious leaders of of the day, but but really to very much to all of us as instructing us in in what I read earlier that we're not ignorant. Or oblivious to how Satan attacks. Because we can see who he is and what he does. He says, Jesus said to them, Ye are um, of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. And then he goes on to say, He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar. And the father of it. And in that text, he called him a murderer. He called him a thief. And he called him a liar, the father of it. And so besides this idea of of being a thief and a murderer, killing and stealing from us the very blessings and good things that God wants us to have, Satan is a liar. And he wants to plant into our hearts and minds those lies, those half-truths, those Subtle things that will move us away from God. We we learned how that that he is a deceiver. He is an impostor. He he, um, and he's fierce and powerful. God, uh, God is all. Satan is mighty. God is Almighty. But we should never forget that Satan is mighty. And my friend, my brother and sister we need to recognize that we are no match to Satan, because he is mighty. And Scripture teaches us very clearly that it is only through Christ, and only with God's help, that we can and we are victorious. And so Satan does all of those things, but especially speaks lies into into our minds, into our hearts, to try to deceive us and move us away from trusting and believing in God. We should should, um, not be surprised ever of these fiery darts or the temptations that Satan will bring to us because... Jesus himself experienced that. We read in in Hebrews chapter 4 that he, namely Jesus, was tempted in all things like as we are. Just pause there for a moment and think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, who came into the world and took upon himself flesh like you and I. And being yet God... Yet at the same time, experience the temptations that you and I also experience and was tempted in all things like as we are. And if we, we go to the beginning of his ministry, just before he set out in his ministry, we know that, that Jesus experienced tremendous temptation from the enemy. And let's just look at that for, for a moment because it really helps us to understand what this spiritual warfare is all about. Understand how the enemy attacks us, and and what we are fighting against. Because in a sense, Satan doesn't have anything new. He just keeps recycling the temptations and and the fiery darts that he that he has always used. And why? Because they have been and are effective. And so when Jesus was was um, in the wilderness for forty days. In that time, he was he was tempted, and we know that, that uh, Satan came to Jesus in three different areas of temptation. And I don't want to go into those specific temptations at this time, but if you look at them, we can certainly learn from them. And, and probably one of the important things to learn is that he came to Christ in that area of weakness and vulnerability. He had been fasting for 40 days, and he obviously was weak in the flesh. And then he came to him with that temptation of turning the stones into bread. And he could have easily have done that by giving in to Satan and his demand. And he, he also... Preyed on him in a sense with temptation that was not unlike what he had done from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, causing, causing them to question God's word, causing them to 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 pursue the pride and of of and, and arrogance of, of elevating themselves to to the place of God, of being like God. But the most important element of that temptation that Jesus faced there in the wilderness as Satan tempted is found in his response to Satan. When in all three instances, he, in a sense, rebutted the temptation of Satan by quoting scripture. By saying, It is written by going back to the Word of God and, and using the Word of God as his defense. And even when Satan was recognizing that he was not getting anywhere, and he then quoted a scripture in order to to call, cause Jesus to, to fall, misquoting a scripture and, and twisting it, even there Jesus responded with the word of God. And that is so important, especially as we look at this last piece of armor, uh, the sword of the spirit to the word of God this morning, how important that really is for us. So we've looked We've looked at the armor of God, and and I hope that you have recognized that as we have done that together, and as you read and are familiar with the scripture, that you will see how the word of God, the last thing that we are going to look at this morning, how that the word of God is actually, was and is actually very closely linked to every piece of the armor of God as we find it here in Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning with that belt of truth that we are to put as, as around, wrapping ourselves around the Word of God and becoming very familiar and established in the truths of the Scripture, of the Word of God. And that by knowing these Scriptures and hiding them in our hearts and claiming the promises that are contained in them, that we can not only discern the lies of the enemy, but also fight against them with the truth of the word of God by, by, by resisting the devil and saying it is written. Whether we do that in our minds or, or verbally by resisting the, the devil with the word of God and in that way live a victorious Christian life. We looked at that breastplate of righteousness recognizing that we have no righteousness of our own. And as the scripture clearly teaches us that, that we are only justified or made right with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And that is it is through repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ that we can have that right relationship with God, that we can come into that relationship and that we can live a righteous and a holy life. We looked at those shoes of peace, the gospel of peace, which is really the good news. And that's not only the good news of the gospel, the salvation that we have in Christ, But also the entire scripture, the the entire good news that we can live victoriously. And not only come to that place where we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Bible teaches us, but that we can have the God of peace with us. And that we can have that peace of God, as we can read in Philippians chapter 4, that passes all understanding that keeps our hearts our minds in Christ Jesus the peace the gospel that brings that message of peace with God being right with God but also that we can have the presence of God through his holy spirit living in us and with us day by day and finally um we moved on then to, not finally, we moved on to the shield of faith. And, and the next, the, the, the first um, ones, we were called um, to put them on. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of faith. Put on the, 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 these sandals or these, your, onto your feet, the gospel of peace. But the next three were actually instructed to take them up, to actually physically not put them on so much as, as take them up and, and to use them, beginning then with, with that shield of faith. The faith that, that, that saves. By grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And then also that faith that we can read also in in, in John, that is the victory that overcomes the world. The shield of faith, the faith that we can have in the promises of God, in the word of God, in, in the sovereignty of God, in, in all that he does for us that gives us the victory. Thanks be to God, the Bible says, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus and his word. And and we learned that this shield of faith, even though it is very much a a, um, a piece of armor that defends us, was also a weapon in sort because of that ability that it had to to be used against the the foe, uh, the enemy, physically pushing and and causing them to be able to um, be pushed back. Resisting the devil, the Bible says, so that he might flee from you, that he might run, that he might realize that with God on our side, he's no match to the power of God in us. And by resisting us, he will he will flee. And that that shield can also absorb those fiery darts and temptations of the enemy. And then, last time we looked at that helmet of salvation, and how that too was so closely linked to the belt of truth, the truth of scripture, the the salvation that we have as we take those truths and and put them into our lives, understanding brother and sister who we are in Christ, what the bible has has given to us and promised to us how in in, in Peter, it tells us that wherefore they are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the the lust of this world, the wickedness of this world and being able to stand against all of that. And how that, that salvation, that helmet of salvation is not merely the salvation that we find in Christ, but the salvation that we, we have in Christ day by day. Because we are not only saved once, we are continually being saved. And when we read that in the Bible, it says that we would work out our salvation. Not work for our salvation, but work it out day by day living as those that have been saved, those that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and are walking in the power of the Spirit. And that brings us to this final piece of armor, which the Bible says here um, is the sword, um, identifies as the sword of the Spirit, which is... The Word of God. It's interesting that all of the other pieces, although we can very clearly relate to them as we we think of the um, analogy to a soldier, especially in the day the Roman soldier in the day of of the Apostle Paul, which everybody would have understood. Everybody would have been able to recognize very clearly that all of those were in a sense spiritualized, but with the sword. The apostle Paul actually very clearly defines that for us and he says, which is the word of God. That is what the sword is that is in our hands. And it clearly is, is while listed here with the, with the armor of God, we can clearly see that the sword, the sword is an, Offensive weapon, defensive as well as all of the other armor is, and to some degree, all of the armor was was offensive. But it was more defenses to defend us against temptation, against the fiery darts of the devil, to against his attacks. But the sword is 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 not simply to defend us and but to fight and to fight back and to push back against the enemy. And we need to see it in that light. And it's included in this grouping of the armor of God that says, above all, there were these three, above all, taking the shield of faith, the, the helmet, um, the helmet of salvation, and then the sword, of the Spirit. Almost elevating these three as being perhaps so very, very important in our lives. And certainly they they are a part of this whole idea that we also need to take the whole armor of God. As we read that uh, in this scripture, it said, Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God. Beloved, when we think about the sword, we can see how important it is to have all of it. A soldier that would go into battle, maybe fully protected by armor, and yet not have a weapon in his hand, would become an easy prey to the enemy. And that's why the whole armor is important. And all of those defensive pieces of that armor are all important because lacking any one of them makes us vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We need all of it. And we need it to be able to stand against our enemy. And that's what the scripture teaches us. Having, wherefore, um, having done all to stand, stand, therefore, taking the whole armor of God. It is given to us so we can stand against the enemy. Not stand on our own power, our own strength, our own abilities, but stand in the power of the Spirit of God, and especially stand because we have in our hands the sword of the Spirit. For the Roman soldier, the sword called, I believe it was a gladius, it was a relatively small sword. Not the kind of sword that we would envision the... Um, Crusaders who, who often were mounted on their horses and had a massively long a sword in their hands that they could wield from being elevated and still attack the enemy. But a short sword that was probably about 18 inches long, easily fit into the into their, their belt, and could easily be used and wielded within those close quarters of hand-to-hand combat with their enemy. And really, the, the the fight against Satan for all of us is, <clears throat> is like that. That hand-to-hand combat. Close quarters where daily we need to fight and push back against all of his devices. And a soldier needed to be trained um, in using that sword. And I couldn't help but think of, of, of David when we know he decided to go up against Goliath. Saul was outfitted him with his armor and gave him his sword and, and David obviously put it on and it, it obviously didn't fit. More importantly he had no idea how to use any of it because he had never trained with it. And 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 he 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 gave it back. He said and, and said that he had literally had not done that. That it was not for him. And he was going to go into battle not with a sword, but with that which he had been trained in, and in the power of the Spirit, in the power of Almighty God, and in the name of the Lord. And Roman soldiers, obviously, any soldier for that matter, then or now, needs training, rigorous training, to be able to use the weapons that they have effectively and to be able to use them to to win the battle. And it's no different when we're talking about the sword of the Spirit. To be able to effectively use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, brothers and sisters, we need to be familiar with it. It's not just an occasional, casual reading that will suffice. Simply having the bible or the word of god sitting on a shelf and maybe multiple copies of it collecting dust does us no good even the sword in in the sheath of a of a soldier as long as it stayed there was was of no value not until he took it out and practiced with it and used it could it be effective against the enemy and so it is also for us that we need to take that sword and train in it use it just like paul said to 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 Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. In other words, train yourself, study God's word, read it, absorb it into your heart, into your life, memorize it, hide it in your heart. And all of that will cause that sword to be able to be effective against the attacks of the enemy. It's a beautiful scripture, so familiar to us, that describes this sword to us in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is quick. In other words, the word of God is alive. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing of sunder in soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner. The thoughts and intents of the heart, and there's so much that we could meditate on just that. But it's a two-edged sword, and I've often thought that that in that sword, it, it's intended to cut um, deeply, both directions, not just blunt on one side that it can only uh, partially. But whether it's 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 used this way or that way, it will cut. It will be effective. It will do its work. I've also personally considered that this sword, even as I wield it from the pulpit here and, and preach the word of God, intending to allow it to, um, have, or rather have God use it to cut into people's hearts and lives and, and expose um, sin, expose those things that are displeasing to God that at the same time, it needs to cut into my own heart, into my own life, and do the same thing as well. And the word, when we hold it, is not just for others. It's, more importantly, for us. But also this element that this word is alive, that this word is, is, is living and active, and is something that can... Accomplish a lot in our lives today, and as we look at this sword of the spirit, and 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 as a scripture, uh, what that really means. In a sense, the Bible, as we have it, is the word of God, and all of it. The Bible uh, tells us is, is inspired. It was written by men that were inspired of the Holy Spirit to to write these things. In in Timothy, it says it's given by the inspiration of God. And that it is profitable for doctrine, for for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, um, may be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word is given to us, inspired by God to show us how to live. To show us when we, when we are not living the way God wants us to and to show us how we can get back on track, so to speak, and how it can keep us living right for God. In the original language of the, of the New Testament, which was Greek, the, the, the idea of the Word of God was translated or was used in two different Greek words. Logos, and urema were the two words. But in the English Bible, it's all the word, one word. But it's important that we understand the distinction between those two. Logos is really a reference to all of the inspired word of God. In other words, the entire Bible and scripture that we have before us. All of it that is given to us by the inspiration of, of God. And we know that that Jesus himself became that living Logos, the living word. When we read in, in the first chapter of John, the first verse, in the beginning, the word, and, and there the word is really, the Greek word is this Logos. He became the living word, the word personified through him, him coming into the world. And the word um, was uh, with God. And the word was God. And Jesus himself was that word of God coming, preaching that gospel, that message, that good news to us. And so in other portions of scripture, in the parable of the sower of the seed, it was also this word um, of God, the the scriptures, the, the message that God Brings and gives to, to everyone that is referred to. And here in, in Hebrews, that text that we read where it says that the Word of God is quick and powerful, it means all of Scripture, all of the Word of God is like that. The other trans, Greek word translated, rhema, is, is one that really helps us to understand why this Word is The King James says quick, but that really means alive. Why this word is alive, living, and active. And why that is what makes it powerful and effective in our lives. And when the English Bible translates certain scriptures with the word but it is actually the Greek word rhema it is still the word of God but it is a word that becomes very personal to you and to me and let's unpack that a little bit because this is what is when when the Bible becomes alive to you it's the difference between just reading the Bible which I think all of us myself included have done so many times. We read the Bible. We know that it, this is the Word of God, but it doesn't do anything. Sometimes we can read a chapter, and if we, we, we finish reading it, we, and somebody asks us, well, what did you read? Well, sometimes we don't even remember what we read, let alone remember or, or understand what it was really communicating to us, because it wasn't really alive. It wasn't active. It wasn't doing something for us. But, but God's Word is intended to be alive. It's intended to have the Holy Spirit, which the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit speak that Word into our hearts, into our minds, and make it real. Make it relevant. Make it personal. Make it something that, that speaks to the needs that we have in our lives. To the situations in life that we are going through today. To provide the direction that we are looking for in life. And it's in those moments that, that God's Word becomes the Rhema to us. Because it, it's alive. It's as if God was, was beside us and, and, and this Word is speaking to us. And, and I trust and I believe that all of us have experienced that as believers that we have read a scripture, perhaps in a a season of life that has been very difficult, uh, perhaps a time when we were looking for direction, going through temptations or trials, going through experiences that were very hard, and in those moments, God's word became alive. It brought the comfort, it brought the direction, it brought the help, the strength that, that we were looking for in that current situation in the difficulty that we were in. And so there are many examples of that um, in Scripture. And when, when we would read, even in the Old Testament, that the word of the Lord came unto, and many of the prophets, often it was a message that was intended for the people, but many times it was a personal message to encourage or to provide direction to the prophet. Going back to the temptation of Christ, when when uh, Jesus responded to Satan and and he said, um, "For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God." There, the word was "Rama." That was very personal in that moment for Jesus. That was the word. That was the message that that was. For Christ, personally, at that moment, that word was there to, to, to rebut, to fight against Satan. jesus uh, spoke these uh, things too and he said the words that i speak unto you and that was the raiment which is the word of god It, it was they are spirit they are life those were all references to something that was very alive and relevant to the disciples at that day but also to us that god wants his word to become rhema in our lives making it something personal that helps us day by day to to fight against the attacks of the enemy It was the very same thing that became a personal message to Mary when the angel came. The word of the Lord came to her. That was a personal message to her. To her, to Peter, um, when when he was um, when his faith was was sinking there as he sank uh, as he was walking on the water. All of those and many others are personal words that come to make that difference. And so when we are reading Scripture, when we take the Word of God into our hands, when we come to the hearing of the Word of God, whether it's here um, and you hear it read and preached from the pulpit, whether it's in uh, personal relationships that you have when you discuss the Word of God or or Bible studies or, or come together around the Word of God, it is in those places that we really should be asking the Lord to speak to us. To, to to have that prayer on our heart. Here I am, O Lord, speak to us. Speak to me through your word. Make your word, rhema, in my life. And speak to us in a personal way for the situations that we are in. And especially in those times when we are up against the attacks of the enemy. The fiery darts of the devil. Both of them are important. We need to read God's Word um, in order to hide it in our hearts. And, and rep- doing that repetitively, over and over again, will hide God's Word into your hearts. Doing that intentionally, memorizing the Scriptures, just like we encourage the children in Sunday school to memorize Scriptures in order to hide it in their hearts so that, that we can use it as a sword. Jesus said that when the comforter the holy spirit will come that he will remind us of all things that Jesus taught the way that the holy spirit reminds us of the word of god the things that Jesus taught of the not only the the, the logos but also the rhema is When that has been hidden in our hearts, when we have memorized the scriptures, when we have read them, when we have become familiar with them, when we have trained ourselves in them, much like the soldier trains with his sword, so that we can effectively use that sword of the Spirit. And if we do that, make the word of God that priority in our lives, then we will have an effective weapon in our hands. And it will be what the Bible teaches us or what we can read in Isaiah that we will have something for which um, we read in Isaiah 54 7 that no weapon that is formed against thee or us shall prosper. No matter what fiery dart Satan would fire against us, no matter what weapon or temptation or thoughts, or lies, or half-truths that he would hurl against us, will be successful, will be able to prosper. If we have trained well, if we have the sword of the Spirit in, in our hands and are able to use it effectively, the Word of God. Not only the Logos, but also the Rhema, that which is spoken personally to us. So let's conclude by understanding that, that we are in this battle. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Brothers and sisters, this sword of the Spirit is mighty, is powerful, is alive, is active, and it wants to be effective in your hands, in my hands. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Taking everything that Satan would, would fire against us, and, 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 and laying it bare, so to speak, exposing it with the sword of the Spirit for what it really is, And allowing us to be able to resist him and then see him flee. Because with God, when God is for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. When God is in us, when God is for us, we are a match to Satan. But no other way. And in Romans chapter 8, when it talks about all of the things that could potentially separate us From the love of God. It tells us that in Christ. Through Christ. With the sword of the spirit. And with the armor of God to protect us. We are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. More than conquerors, we can be victorious. We do not need to live a defeated life. We do not need to, to give in to the enemy. We can stand against temptation. We can stand and, and, and live as children of God, as saints and not sinners, as those that are victorious because we have power through God and with his help over the enemy. Because we hide God's word in our hearts so that we don't sin against him. Because we, we treat God's Word for what it is, a lamp to our feet, a light for our path, the very sword of the Spirit which causes us to be effective. And so we, may we, with the grace of God, take up with renewed vigor this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and go out there and fight. Not on our own strength, but with the power and the strength that God gives. I haven't touched on the last portion. It is just, perhaps, as important as the sword of the Spirit, and it's important that the Scripture be read. And Brother Dan some time ago meditated on prayer as a weapon. So I don't want to go into that. Obviously, we don't have time, but I've intentionally left that out. But consider also that prayer is also a weapon, like the, S- the Word of God, that we can use against enemies but that we would do that as we go into battle, not on our own strength, but rather in the strength of the Lord, calling upon the Lord in, the, in his name, coming against the Goliaths in our lives, in the name of the Lord, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Amen.